Hey, everybody. Welcome to Babs Buzz. Long time, no squawk. How's things going? Hope you're doing well. Hope everybody is still writing and plugging along. A couple of things I want to talk about now that the show is quarterly. I want to set this up right. I want to remind you that the show runs a little longer. We're doing, you know, we try and shoot for 45 minutes whenever possible. So uh, give you a lot of information in one sitting. Um, I want to send a shout out to Michael Cornetto for his short, A Doll's Life. Uh, Natalie Andreas in the UK shot it for him. Woohoo! This was very exciting for me to hear for a couple of reasons. It's very hard to be entertaining for five minutes. A lot of people think that the way you get into this business is to write a script. And it's 90 pages and it's fabulous. You know what? Take a whack at writing a short. Good luck with that. Even better, try shooting one. Very hard to be interesting, compelling, riveting. All the ING words I hate works right here. It's very hard to do that in a span of five minutes. So, Michael, Shout out to you. I absolutely adore you. You know that I'm giving you a full-on chest-to-chest hug. None of those wimpy cheek things. I give the New York hug, you know. Um, want to talk a bit about Baseline. Baseline is an expensive program that professionals use so that they know who's who in the zoo, how much is getting for what, who's shooting, who's got money, who's got equity, who farted at a restaurant, and all that stuff. But you can get the free side, which is very important when you're building your Rolodex because you see who moves where and who's who's. Uh, what location they're at, what address they are, what their phone number is. Pick up the phone and call them. Say, hey, you looking at new writers? No, thanks. Bye. Next. Okay, so baseline is free. But you have to go to it this week, and I gave the link to Michael because Michael and I had been talking about a subject that eludes many uh, writers. It doesn't, it doesn't really elude me, but I, I found it hard to encapsulate it, and as luck would have it, yesterday's baseline uh, – free side newsletter. There's a free side to newsletter. I don't know if I said that. The newsletter is expensive because it goes with the program that they sell, but you can get the free side. Um, the free side mentions an article that appeared in Script Shark um, and the, and the, in, the, in the script blog section, and the theme of the article was theme. You can't miss this. It's really, really good. I'm going to talk about it a little bit later when we do our script analysis for um, – today's film, which is Sixth Sense. Uh, A couple of comments from Lou Hunter. We love Lou Hunter. He's just one of those pirates out there that really knows what he's doing and how to do it. He's been doing it for 100 years. Many of you have his books. That's no offense to Lou being old. It's just a fact of life. Uh, we lo- I, met, I had the privilege of meeting Lou, actually. One of my, uh, an associate introduced me to him. And um, he has two comments, two comments for you relating to producers um, and show business. Number one, most producers do not rest easy at night unless they've screwed at least one writer per day. And they have to ask for free rewrites. It's just in their DNA. Now, not every not every producer's like that, but Lou makes a really good point. For the most part, so many producers if, you know, they're on thin ice uh, equity-wise if they have no cash, they're going to try and get some favors for free. Well, the second point Lou makes is every producer who comes into the zone of California time zone learns two different words in seven different languages before he can come, become a producer. And those two words are needs work. You're always going to hear this no matter what. You're going to hear this from an agent. You're going to hear this from a producer. You're going to hear this from a director. You're going to hear this from the art director. You're going to hear this from, you're going to hear about it. Needs work. Is it true? Maybe. Should you pay attention to it? Absolutely. Anybody who gives you free advice depending on who it is, of course. I mean, you wouldn't want to take free advice from the mechanic about your script unless he gives you an idea like Top Gun, which is, you know, you know, there's, a, there's an exception to every rule, isn't there? I um, want to talk to you about uh, Stage 32. 
I got to meet this guy by uh, via the internet. Uh, so you don't have to be in Los Angeles. If anybody tells you you do, that's a crock. Uh, I don't live there, and I do very well. I do a lot of business there. I do a lot of business around the world, but most of my business comes out of Los Angeles, and I don't live there. Uh, so you don't have to be in Los Angeles to be a sole screenwriter or a, uh, a working agent or a working TV writer. Uh, however, if you want to be a working t- TV writer who gets a paycheck – all the time, you should move to Los Angeles because it's very hard. Unless you're established, then you could do what many of them do, which is move to Utah and move to Canada. That's what I meant. A lot of them, once they're established, they're TV writers and they can do everything electronically. They don't have to be there. But the, the showrunners, you really do need to be in, in, in L.A. to do TV. I want to talk about Richard Botto, who is in charge of a great site called Stage 32. Uh, he created it with uh, COO Kurt Blackney. Uh, they're screenwriters, they're producers, they're actors, so they, you know, they know all levels of what this art and this craft uh, entails, and they wanted to be able to assist everybody who's involved in the process on a day-to-day basis, so that some everybody kind of like simply scripts where we have a place to go to learn. This is a place where you can go to network and have a really good time. Um, they went to, I guess, the American film market a couple of years ago, and it it, it just it was sort of this uh, grain of idea that bloomed into this website from there. And there's so much going on at the site. You really need to check out the site. I know Michael's been talking to him. Um, Richard Botto sent me one of the best scripts I've ever read called Lucky Lorenzo. I just sent it over to Paramount. I don't think that um, they'll pick it up, not because the script isn't worth it, but it may not be for them. But that script, it's um, uh, props go out to Richard Botto for just a great, great script. Imagine, if you will, uh, who Billy Ocean, meaning from Ocean's, 11, not the guy who had the hit in the 80s. Uh, <laughs> is that his name? Uh, imagine, if you will, what made Billy Ocean Billy Ocean. This is the, that kind of story, how a con man becomes a con man, What, how how a, how a con man is grown. Oh, it's a funny script, too. Very tongue-in-cheek in spots, really well-crafted, not a moment of cliche, doesn't miss a beat hysterical um so definitely check in with stage 32 that's very important so that's in the business corner of uh babs buzz this week uh in addition to the business corner i want to tell you about ashley and um, his website sellingyourscreenplay.com this is important when i do um mailings to people i have a special rolodex that i use and that's something that i've assembled over time i mean you can't do it in 20 minutes you can't do it by buying the hollywood directory it just doesn't work that way you you first of all in this business people move around and the whole thing is sort of this cosmic bumper car thing that happens so things change and um ashley's website he's really really good at keeping an eye on this stuff and he's extremely inexpensive you want to, if you want to introduce yourself to producers and directors around the world. I urge you to go to his website. Um, he's, this, is not a, this guy's not a slouch. Uh, you can check him out on IMDb Pro. Uh, he's got a, a lot of services that he offers, offers. Some of them are quite inexpensive. He's extremely smart when it comes to his fax blast, e-blast insanely insanely reasonably priced i mean i think it's like 150 bucks for a thousand producers anyway go to his site um ashley is very friendly he's very nice don't abuse his time because then he'll shoot me so uh you know but but if you have to email and tell him you heard about it on babs buzz i don't get a kickback i wish (laughs) i'm not i'm not proud send wine uh, if nothing else um I found out from Baseline, speaking of Baseline earlier, that um, X-Files, you know, that wonderful TV show that had such a great uh, 
audience pull. There's going to be something very, very similar to it coming out, uh, OCT for A&E. Sounds interesting. Probably going to be pretty good. So if you do do TV and that is your bailiwick, start looking at that and you live in Los Angeles, you definitely want to send your material to those producers. Uh, and when you send material, have somebody look at it first. You know, don't just send stuff willy-nilly. Make sure it's formatted correctly. You guys all know this. You've been down this road before. Um, make sure that you check out uh, who who uh, is the associate producer, who is the associate producer's assistant, that kind of thing. Um, it's going to have, you know, all the paranormal stuff. It's very, very cool. I did prepare a little while ago the blacklist that um, we talked, Michael and I talked about a, a little bit ago, and I found that in this instance – I didn't find a lot of scripts that really interested me. Now, that doesn't mean anything. What I'm telling you is that as a buyer, um, all of the scripts that are on the blacklist may not – they may be so well-written and beautifully uh, crafted, but they haven't found a buyer. Um, and a lot of the concepts that I saw, I wasn't buying either. But I will tell you about the ones that I did like, and they're going to sound – this is kind of a very eclectic mix but uh, I think you'll get the gist of it. And I picked things. I'll, I'll tell you my thought process. Number one, how it interested me if it hooked me. Number two, if I thought it would have a shot at an audience. And number three, if I could easily see it cast, and this is my big thing, absent A-list actors and actresses. I am a big believer in seeing actors and actresses who are A-list work as often as they want. But I'm sick of overexposed faces. I it it does not it does not allow me as a viewer of a screen of a film. It doesn't allow me to suspend my belief, my disbelief in what's going on and my belief in what I see on the screen. Uh, it's very easy for me to see Johnny Depp doing uh, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. It's extremely difficult for me to see him do Barnabas Collins. Now I saw the trailer and it looks terrific. But it's I, I get that it's Johnny Depp. You see what I mean? Uh, and I know that they don't care about that because here's the here's the money line. You ready? Here's the money line. The guy's going to sell it. Whether the script is good or bad, the film is good or bad, he's going to sell it. OK, His, the reason why they pick these people is because it, it guarantees a net return and it draws in equity and it draws in investors. And while that's very nice, it kills me as an agent. It, it this is such a this busts my chops so much. That so many actors all get the work and that all these other people who are struggling and really want to make a name for themselves because they don't have a name yet, they don't get the roles. And I, I, I hearken back to Django. So before I get too off point, let me talk about Blacklist and I'll get to Django in a minute. So uh, here's one of them. Home by Christmas. It's Bob Hope in Korea. I think that would be a huge draw for people over 50. Um, I would even want to see it. And, and I'm over 50 and I, and I, and I, and I say that mostly because I take a great deal of pride in America. Sex tape, I think, sounds hilarious. I think it just, I could just see this, this cup. It could be like, you know, fun with Dick and Jane, only with a sex tape, you know. Uh, hidden, this sounds really, really good. It's about uh, a bomb shelter. Uh, these kids hide out. This family hides out. It's a horror. And they get out of the bomb shelter and they escape from what happens. Um, and that, now let's talk about Django. That's the, uh, so I only had four, really, of the blacklist that I thought would be worthy to shoot and would actually make money vis-a-vis uh, -vis ticket sales. Th th those are the four. That, that, those three, Hidden, Sex Tape, Home by Christmas, and Django. I had hoped that 
I love Leonardo DiCaprio, and I'm so glad he's in it because it's huge. I think he is in it. And I think they're shooting now because when this came out, I don't think they had all the equity in place and all the bodies in place, but I think they do now. Um, I didn't really want to see Jamie Foxx in the lead, even though I'm sure he's going to be terrific if he is in the lead. I had my eye on an actor who I saw on a TV commercial. Uh, I can't remember the product, but I and I can't remember exactly uh, what, what TV show I was watching when the commercial aired. But I thought, oh, this guy would be so terrific as Django if he's got chops. So that's what I mean about overexposed. Um, you, you guys know this. You've seen a million vampire movies. You've seen them all. Well, they're still looking for vampire movies. Why? Can you say it differently? I just saw uh, when they were sending out, they're looking for writers. Um, writer wanted, the screenplay was, the premise was, this is brilliant. Talk about a contained shoot. It's the story of Dracula's travel from Europe to here, the first journey he made by sea. Oh, man. what Loaded with opportunities. Think about it. Loaded with opportunities. And talk about beating it out. The 12 o'clock moment is Europe. The six o'clock moment is when he lands in America. Oh, man. I mean, the thing will write itself. It'll write itself. It's genius. So it's a vampire movie. Yeah, but it's definitely something I would see. Um, want to talk about uh, acts of valor. It's very hard to shoot people, which speaks to what I was just talking about, about people who you don't know. It's very hard to shoot people who don't know how to act. And these guys, they're not actors, and they did an amazing job. So props go out to them. I saw the film. It was very heartwarming. It was very, very good. It's hard to watch it at times. The action was fantastic. They did use a couple of professional actors and actresses in there. I love that um, the villain was an Israeli, or I don't know if he's Israeli, but he's Jewish. That was really so. It was counterintuitive, which was really, really interesting, and it was very well written. But the people in it were so damn good, really, really good. Uh, one of the things I noticed too about uh, Acts of Valor is the cinematography. Holy cow! Who shot this thing? I can't even remember. Please forgive me. Michael will put it up on the on the uh, the link when he posts the show. So um, you know. You think it, you know, it's Ed, Water, and Stir, and you have a movie. Nothing like that with Acts of Valor. Four years, nobody would touch it. But enter private equity, there you go. Um, I want to talk about passion on the page. I read so many scripts that it's very easy for me to tell early on that it's just not going to go. It's just, it's just boring. It's flat. It's, it's, it's like ten day old Coca Cola. It just doesn't have it. And I'd seen so many bad scripts in the last quarter. I was really disappointed. My heart was breaking because I'm like, I really need to read something. So I called Greg Houghton, one of my favorite writers. He's a client. And I said, don't you have anything new to read? I need to read something great. Well, enter. He's working on something, by the way. And I just read the first 16 pages. Holy crap. It's so good. This guy is so talented. He's really got it. Enter Jim Starr. Jim Starr is a director, you may remember, one of my clients, who shot the Morgan Freeman biography. And uh, he sends me a script. Called the last thing they do. Super simple premise. Think Magnificent Seven. Okay. A uh, bunch of female Marines in Afghanistan assigned a real shit detail. They have to set up a school for children. I don't remember if it's little girls or not, but anyway, they set up a school. And it's what happens. Couldn't stop reading it. Needed nothing. Perfect beats, funny where it was supposed to be, serious where it was supposed to be. Two surprises I did not see coming. Holy crap, Jim Starr, right on, great script. The ending actually made me tear up. 
So what do I do? I read this and I start to shake. You know how I get kids. I tell you, it's so good. I can't click page down fast enough. And my right shoulder starts to kill me because I'm clicking page down, you know? Well, I'm reading this script and I go, Jim, we got to put this on. It's on the grid. We got to put it up. We got to put it up. So I put it up on it's on the grid and boom, I get phone calls. I get phone calls. Not one offer. To me, this script easily could be on the blacklist. Easily. But it's... I mean, lifetime, what are you thinking? You, how many times are you going to have the woman banging the mailman? Take a look at this script. This is a fantastic script. It's all cast with women. It's, it's hilarious in spots. It's against, um, it's against stereotype. It's so freaking good. Somebody call me and look at this script. Now, I'm working the phones on it, and I'm doing email, but man, oh, man, when you're that entertained by something you read that you know is supposed to be a film, Ah, oh, there's there's no joy like it. There's no joy like it on the planet. Well, I mean, there there are, but we won't go there right now. Um, so passion on the page has to be there. It, it, you don't you don't have to be that technically proficient. People can fix that for you, but you've got to know your story. You've got to know what you're talking about. I. In part of my exercise in the last quarter of 2011 and, and um, the first quarter, January of 2012, I had to uh, – let me digress a little bit. I got a pitch from a guy who wanted to write the Blade Runner sequel because there's a buzz going on in Hollywood that they're going to redo uh, – they may reshoot Blade Runner in, th- in 3D, which I don't think will happen, but it might. Um, and also that Blade Runner 2 is being tossed around. So when the, because I have two writers in my stable that would kick the crap out of this script and make it a hit, I thought, all right, let me look at Blade Runner and let me see if well, maybe one of my writers or maybe both, I should pitch their, you know, when I pitch my writers, I call it, it on the grid. It says open writing assignment. So I call them up and I go, listen, I have a writer that you might be looking for. Can I send you his portfolio? And what his portfolio is or her portfolio is, is a picture of the writer on the front page of the PDF, followed by five or six scripts, five or six pages of each different genres. This is why you have to have an arsenal of scripts when you go to an agent. It's OK to be a one hit wonder. But the truth of the matter is for somebody like me who's really trying to just rub two sticks together. When they say to me, oh, I like this writer, but I don't want drama. Does he have a horror? Yes, he does. That's important when I work the phones. It's really critical. So open writing assignment. I'm thinking, all right, this might be. So this guy pitches me Blade Runner 2, and I read his script, and it's terrible. I mean, it's not just terrible. It's it's a novel, and it's not just a novel. It's a bad novel. It's poorly structured. That's okay. The story wasn't flying. It was very tedious to read. It hurt me to read it. So I had to stop, and I said to the guy, I love you, mean it, bye. So I pitched my two writers for the job. I don't know uh, what's going to happen there, and I, 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 it's probably unlikely that my writers will get the gig because they don't have a quote-unquote rep, even though they'd be ideally suited to write the sequel. But I said all that to say this. So I, write, I read, I write um, to these two directors, and I go, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm going to watch Blade Runner again, get my chops up, read these two writers, tell me what you think of their work. I think they'd be perfect, plus they're Blade Runner fans. So I think, you know, I don't know that I've ever seen Blade Runner in its entirety because I was on the road as a rock singer for such a long time. I think when that came out, I was also in the studio. So when you're in the studio, you tend to be underground a lot. You don't know what's going on. And I don't think I saw the whole thing. I remember seeing bits of it. So I, wa- I, rent- I-, I have it on video. 
I don't know why I have it, but I have it. And I watch it. And I'm absolutely astounded as to how slow but wonderful it is. Now, the videotape I have. So I got online and I poked around a little bit. And I wanted to know. Here's This is an odd coincidence. God is so funny. As I'm watching this on video, uh, A&E had it on, uh, the movie channel had it on with the director's notes and the, you know, the, how they put the notes at the bottom, the crawl there. The one they had on TV had a voiceover. And I'm like, well, this sucks. I don't want to hear his voice. But, but I had no idea that it even existed. I guess that was the original maybe, right? I don't know. You guys can email me and tell me. I know there's a lot of Blade Runner fans out there, so I expect a lot of email. So go ahead, hit me. So I'm listening to this with the voiceover, and I'm like, oh, boy, this isn't really as much fun as just watching it and seeing it unfold. So I go to Wikipedia, of course. The it's Wikipedia is the encyclopedia for Googleites. And I go, what's the story with this picture in terms of the replicant? Because I had heard from a, a friend who saw it, said, you know, I didn't see that Harrison Ford was – his character was a replicant. I go, wait a minute, what? Is, so I go on, and sure enough, one of you guys were nice enough to post on the thread the interview with the director, who his name escapes me. You know that. It always happens when I do the show live like this. And he says, well, yeah, he's a replicant. And I'm like, man, I didn't see that coming. So I'm playing poker with my family, and I go, yeah, Dad, you know, it's a great movie. And my father-in-law goes, yeah, it's really great. And I said, and I had no idea that Harrison Ford was a replicant. He goes, what? He is not. I go, yeah, he is. He goes, no, he's not. Evidently. Behind the scenes, there was some debate between the director and Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford did not want to be a replicant. Um, but it explains the fact that when he was fighting these replicants, that he was able to go toe-to-toe with them without being um, injured. That's the only thing I can explain as to how he wasn't hurt more than he was. Because it did, otherwise, it didn't make sense. The other thing that I found interesting, and this, you're not going to believe me, but I swear you kids know I don't lie. I'm going to tell you this. This is the truth. I pick up subtleties in films all the time. And um, I think about them later. I, I'll tell you my Darth Vader story. As soon as I heard the line in Star, the first Star Wars, <clears throat> that's what worries me, from um, the uncle, I knew Darth Vader was the father. Knew it. Knew it. Knew it. Did, I didn't even have to see the whole movie. Knew it. Why? Because I watched soap operas in those days. That's why. So I knew it. Okay. So I'm watching Blade Runner. And lo and behold... Dex is meeting with the cop. He goes, I need you, Dex. I need that old Blade Runner. And I'm watching his body language, and I'm watching his head and his eyes. And I thought to myself, there's something not right here. This actor, as told to by the director, now you've heard me mention this before. Get ready. You got a pen? The director told the the actor the actor had to have a secret. And my suspicion is that in that interview process, the director told the cop, your secret is that you know that Dex is a replicant, but Dex doesn't even know it. And that's what I believe. I I just have a hunch. Okay, why did I bring all this up? Not just because of the writing assignment that I pitched my writers for, but because when you have an inerrant, when you have an inherent ambiguity and an uncertainty in a film, with that much textual richness, when you see that much production value for those days, that was pretty good. You got to think, okay, number one, wow, 
Number two, is there an opportunity for a sequel? Heck yeah. I know when I'm reading a script, I and many of you can do this, even if it's a standalone piece, you can get a sense about sequel. So what's the point of this whole conversation of what I just did? Simple. Think about not answering every question every character poses in your script. Leave it open-ended. Leave some intrigue. Leave some mystery. Leave some, leave some place where you're, as a writer, even you aren't sure of the answer. Even you are not sure what door you want your character to walk through next. Why? Number one, it'll keep you, it'll keep you on your game. Number two, it'll keep you, it'll keep you interested in the craft for sure. And number three, you may actually have a sequel and not even know it until you do that. I have a writer <clears throat> who shall remain nameless, who constantly poses a question and answers it. Poses a question. This is the single biggest challenge of what stops this writer's work from firing. His work doesn't fire because he thinks too logically. He does not think artistically. When you're shooting a film, you're Craig Clyde said it best. I'm going to quote him. I've never heard anybody say it better. There are three movies to one film. The movie you write, the movie you shoot, the movie you edit. Think about that for a minute. Think about how that is pregnant with information. Think about this. So what if there's a question that's not answered? So what if there's an arc that misfires? So what if there's an arc that isn't satisfied by the end of the film? I can tell you straight up, I had no idea that the buzz about Harrison Ford being a replicant was out there. So when I watched the film, I wasn't even thinking about it. Then when someone told me about it, guess what happened? I had to watch it again. Okay, now let's turn the Wayback Machine to when Blade Runner came out. Somebody says to somebody in the theater, wow, you know, I think he was a replicant. No, he wasn't. Yes, it was. Let's buy another ticket and see it again. Cha-ching. That's the point. That's the point. Which brings me to Sixth Sense. We're going to get to our why things happen. When you read the article about theme that Michael is going to post for you, well, actually the link, I don't know if he's allowed to post the theme, you'll understand that a log line is not what a story makes. You may remember we talked about Scrooge at Christmas time. So each show, we're going to analyze a different script. But we're going to do it a little differently. We're going to do it from the B story. We're going to do it from the through line out because the B story talks about the why, which brings me to Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense, as you know, is about a kid who sees dead people. Maybe. And I say maybe with sarcasm because we all, we've all seen it. We know what it's about. But as you're reading the script, it's very interesting because you don't know what's coming if you haven't seen the script. And it's quite a nice surprise at the end to find out um, that actually Bruce Willis's character is dead. Now, my sister-in-law is a little bit like me in that she – picks up subtleties she knew immediately he's dead she she told me that months later but she knew it the best i could come away from when i saw it was it's got nothing to do with this kid but everything to do with bruce willis so i i, I didn't catch that one but i knew it was about bruce willis 
But here's the kicker. You ready? Here comes the money line. Here comes the money part of the show. Actually, the whole show is money, and I don't say that because of me. I just say that because of the people who take time to teach me, and I pass it on to you. The B story tells you everything you need to know. What's the B story? The B story is the mom. The B story really comes, the whole thing circles around the mom. The mom has very unfinished business with her grandmother. Did her grandmother know about her dance recital? Did her grandmother know? Can this woman put to rest her feelings of unsatisfaction with that relationship while she thinks her son sadly is cracking up? And lo and behold, it is her son who gives her the answer she seeks, and she doesn't even know the question. And notice how the director couched the whole thing. He puts them in a car where they're stuck and they have to talk. Oh, my gosh. I'm getting the chills just thinking about it. I love that. You know, she knows. She saw you dance. What? Yeah, she was in the back. This kid knew nothing about that. And here he is, his cursed existence. I mean, that's my word, not the mother's. You know, she's troubled for her kid. Her heart's breaking. There's something wrong with her kid. She thinks her kid's cracking up because of the loss of the dad. He actually does have a sixth sense. He actually is a precog. He actually is psychic. He actually does see dead people, okay? And in the car, you watch her face. People who think acting's easy, this woman is beyond talented and was very well directed. You watch her face in those moments. You watch where she goes. You watch how her face, her eyes reflect her trip down memory, memory lane in a matter of seconds. All, by the way, <laughs> let's not forget, that there's these dead people all over the place around the car. I mean, it's like a moment out of Walking Dead, you know, isn't it? Right? So when you're crafting, if you do not know your B story, you will not know your theme and you will not know what your story is about. So let's say this again. Take it from the top. What is Sixth Sense about? Sixth Sense is about a little boy who manages to somehow rescue his own mother from her own unfinished business. Oh, wow. How does he do that? Well, he sees dead people. That's it. So if you know your B story, if you have your B story locked and loaded, guess what's going to happen? It's going to show up on the page. And you know what else is going to happen? People like me are going to turn the page. They're going to want to know. They're going to, they're going to want to follow you down that rabbit hole. Red pill, green pill. They're going to want to follow you down that rabbit hole. Matrix. What's Matrix about? Matrix isn't about computers and and um you know keanu reeves fabulous coats it really is about how the world's changed and where people have been reduced to energy well that's the b story but you don't know that until you go down the rabbit hole with um keanu reeves character all i'm saying is that whenever you whenever you're about to approach a script and you're going to sit down and start writing and the why hits you it's the B story that has to be the thing that drives you. You must get back to the B story. I just read a terrific script called Blood Red. It's a horror picture. I don't love horror, but I actually did love this script for a couple of reasons. The 
the story wasn't about this guy who um, thought he was trapped in a certain place. The story really was about one other thing. It was very simple. His wiring was, it was, his wiring was screwed up. And because his wiring was screwed up, his life changed dramatically as to how he interacted with reality. That's what the story, so, but I'm being vague on purpose on this because I don't want to give it away because I'm trying to sell this. We're in rewrites on it now and I, and I think it'll go. All you need to know about your story is the B story. The rest of the story most certainly will follow. In fact, I'll do you one better. The rest of the story, a lot of it's just window dressing to get you to the B story, which gets you to the core. One of the things I notice about Six Senses, everybody through this very clever misdirection was caught up in the B story of the romance with the wife. What a nice red herring that turned out to be, even though it was it was important and it had, a, you know, it had some degree of poignancy. I'll give you that. It was most certainly interesting. It was shot beautifully. and It was very well crafted. But that's really not what the movie was about. It was just a way to keep us intrigued, to keep believing the premise that Bruce Willis was alive when he wasn't. So I know for a fact that you guys know what I'm talking about when I say to you, focus on the B story. So the question then becomes, are you doing that? Because here's what happens when you send me stuff. All I read is talking heads. If you don't have a motive, if you don't have a why, if you don't, if you don't force me to peel this back and go, but why is Scrooge like that? Why is Bruce Willis like that? Why is this little boy like that? Why is this woman, the mom of the kid in Sixth Sense like that? Then you don't have a story and you don't have anything worth shooting. I can tell you from experience too, that it really does show on the page when the B story is lacking. You could tell very quickly. And that's why the beat sheet, you know, we hearken back to the beat sheet. That's why that's so important. Because when you get right down to it, that's going to line you up, isn't it? That's going to give you the discipline. You Look, at. I love discipline. There's a real joy in discipline. There's a real joy in learning and understanding what the discipline of crafting a, a story very well will do for you. It's not that you're... Uh, it's very often it's the journey, isn't it? I mean, it has to be because if it's just the end result, the sale, the kudos, the Oscars, the red carpet, if that's the, if that's what's um, giving you your motivation and your excitement, it's, it's really, that's misapplied energy because the joy is in the discipline, not in the, in the, uh, the, the Oscars. Why is that? Because that's just a byproduct. Of course, you're going to have a great time at the Oscars. There's great food, great people, great clothes, camera, all that stuff. And hopefully I'll get to go someday before I, I leave this earth. But truly, that's not why I do this. In fact, I'm not even in it for the money. I'm in it because of the journey. Look at all you nice people I've met. Look at all the stuff that you've taught me. Look at all the stuff that I've shown you. Look at all the guidance you've given me. Look at all the guidance that I've given back to you. We're kind of paying it forward for each other, aren't we? And we're becoming, we're becoming by this, by virtue of this craft of screenwriting, I think better people because of it. I mean, look at the outreach that we do. Now, true, there are egos that, you know, really, there are just some egos which, you know, I mean, for whatever reason, they're just a drag to deal with. And that's okay, too. I mean, every business has it, not just show business. I've seen it. Uh, you know, I have a real estate license. I've seen it in real estate. Real estate agents have huge egos. They have to. You know, they work for free. You really have to be motivated to do that. Which brings me to your career and timing. There are two things I want to mention about timing. The first thing is, if you have a deal going, 
regardless of how thin you think it is, that is not the time to quit. That is not the time to turn your back on the team that is supporting your efforts. Yeah, you may be making a statement, but it's an echo that could end up being a resounding thud. Point number two, if you have to run, be sure you have the right shoes, okay? It's important that you know that being in this business isn't about having the best mousetrap. It's about knowing where to set the best mousetrap and leaving it there long enough so that when your shot comes, you are there to pull the ring. I mean, what good is it? I have a, I have a client. He's really um, talented. He's, uh, sh- he shall remain nameless. He's an award winner. Um, he lives in Los Angeles. He has a, a writing partner he uses from time to time. He's extremely smart. I'm gonna leave his I'm gonna leave his name out of it because I don't want him to him to be embarrassed. This guy should have been written. Uh, this guy should have been pardon me sold not written. He's writing all the time. This guy should have been produced all of 2010 and 2011. Everything that he gave me is modern, hip, edgy has a huge demographic, a wonderful draw. We can't get this guy arrested. Now, he does have two deals in place. One's a low budget, one's a big budget. The big budget is if if the equity comes in on that one, this is going to be a career maker for him. Every writer that I sign, they have it they have at least six scripts that are killer, but they have one thing that is, you know, probably the the real deal maker for that particular writer's uh, overall skill set. One of the things I notice about this particular writer is he's at a point in his life now where he's just disgusted, and I get that. But in the end, I mean, when I talked to him, I said to him, you know, I I don't want to tell you how to live because I can't, and I don't pretend to know what you're going through because I kind of don't. I mean, I have some idea. But why stop writing? I mean, look. If you're gonna, if you're gonna do this, just keep writing. Keep rewriting. I mean, think about the therapy. Think about the stimulus. Think about the opportunities that presents itself to you on a spiritual level at your core. Don't worry about the sale. Don't worry about the money. Don't think about all that stuff. I'll tell you from a Christian point of view, I don't want to preach to you guys, but I'm a Christian, so I look at this from a Christian point of view. From a Christian point of view, that's the fastest way to give the enemy what he wants. When you give up, it's like you're saying to the, you know, to the netherworld, ah, I'm making your job easy for you. Don't do that. If you're not a believer, I have another way of saying it. Don't give up. It's not your place to give up. You want to get smacked in the head in a business. This is the business to get smacked in the head with. I'll tell you straight up. It's not attractive. The business itself sucks. Look at the people that are doing tailspins right now about John Carter. Yeah, it's making a few bucks, but the embarrassment, the cost, I mean, and, and look at what a beautiful product they turned out. and Nobody wants to see it. I mean, this is a damn shame. But in the end, all you have to focus on is your story, your script, your craft, your emotions put on that page, your life. Let me tell you, I keep telling you this. You don't get it. You better get it. If you heard nothing today on this show, you better hear this. You're a hero just for finishing the damn thing, just for getting it done. This is not easy. Writing, I just edited a script, and I was editing the script, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, yeah, 
I probably should be paid for this because what I'm doing is pretty rock solid. The notes I gave the writer, and I don't write horror. This is a horror script that I'm editing. I don't write horror, and I did a damn good job on it. If I put this in front of any story analyst at any studio, they would look at me and go, this is good stuff. Not because I created it, but because I was smart enough to take a scissor to the bonsai tree that the writer presented me and take him right where he wanted to go. Remember what I told you, kids. This is important. There's finished scripts, and then there's market ready. And market ready simply must attract actors and directors. If you're going to be all pissy when someone gives you coverage, well, suck it up. Because honestly, Craig Clyde is right. This guy is so right, and he's shooting a film right now. So we'll just let his success speak for itself. This is not an egotistical guy. This is a guy that knows craft and works very hard. He's shooting another film film for Walmart right now uh, called Doorway. Very exciting. Um, he's right. There are three films. The one you write, the one you shoot, and the one you edit. All my time teaching you guys and showing you guys, it's not designed to make you feel bad when things don't go right on the page. Ask anybody on the thread. I correct you with love and real respect in my heart. But you have to know, even if you get it done and get it sold, it's going to be changed again. What you have to worry about at that point is make sure that your agent gets your money to you and make sure your check doesn't bounce. It's very important. This is Babs for Babs Buzz. 2012. Here we are, kids. Let's rock this up. Reminding you that if you want to write, you better be ready to rewrite. Pippin's awake as my little puppy. You can hear his chains. Hi, Pippin. Are you my little boyfriend? Yes, he is. We adopted uh, we adopted a, an 18-month-old beagle called Pippin. And Pippin is um, a lunatic. Pippin, we call him Captain Chaos. Nutburger, wackadoodle, lieutenant lunatic. But really, right now, he's waking up from his nap. Good timing, Pippin. Thank you. I just call him my boyfriend. I'll send you a picture of what he looks like for the thread. Sorry, I digress. This is Babs for Babs Buzz reminding you, you better do your rewrites, kids, because I'm watching. And don't forget, live your life. Peace.